Arts, Lifestyle, SNS Online. This is a story of fear, loss, and hardship. Hello and welcome to SNS Online. Children of Ukraine is a new film by Shahida Tuliganova that attempts to expose the stark reality of Putin's illegal war of Ukraine through its diary of day-to-day life with Ukrainian children, many of them displaced by war. Tuliganova, who was previously responsible for Airport Donetsk, an unflinching portrait of a 200-day fight for the airport against Russian forces that won Best Non-Fiction Short in Russia's prestigious Art Doc Fest film festival, is hoping her latest offering will garner international attention for the plight of Ukrainian children, as well as a deeper understanding and appreciation of the struggles that this country currently face. So, Shahida Teleganova, welcome to SNS Online. Firstly, I'd like to congratulate you uh, on such a beautifully sensitive approach in highlighting this conflict in what is, quite frankly, an appalling time in modern human history and for getting this vital film shown as early as possible on a national UK channel and beyond, I'm sure. We have seen so much footage coming from Ukraine. But this is the first time I've seen anything that has really got under the skin of the conflicts through the eyes of Ukraine's children. Um, First of all, could you talk us through the origins of the project? Well, uh, I normally do field work in Ukraine and any other places in general. Right. And um, uh, the company, the production company, which was uh, approached me, Renegade Pictures, asked me to, to find children. And I started looking for children. Uh, and once I started looking for children and certain relationship developed between me and parents, and then finally, uh, the ITV commissioned the film, and um, I was offered to be a producer director, which was an incredible honor. It was yeah. a pain. Mm. It was the most um, emotionally difficult project I ever done in my life. Yeah. And I've seen a lot of war zones, and I worked in Syria. Uh, a lot in Iraq, uh, and uh, I made a film about Rah- genocide of Rohingya Muslims. So I've I kind of I'm no I I I know the trauma. Your seasons to deal with this stuff as best as you can. Yeah, but this time that was only children, and yeah. that what made it more um, emotionally difficult. Yeah, uh, I mean, what were the things that you didn't expect? whilst making it, things that even, you know, as a seasoned pro surprised you, either emotionally or, or in terms of things that actually happened and day-to-day stuff? What surprised me most was that none of the children I spoke to, and the, the, those are not only the children which, which who are featured in the film, I spoke to many other children, they never complained about, what, about their experiences. They never complained... Uh, about the lack of water or shortage of food. They've been through horrific stuff, you know. And they spoke about it as children, as a matter-of-fact thing. Mm. They never wanted me to feel sorry for them. That's for sure. So resilience of these children really not surprised me. Uh, it It was so uplifting, yeah. 
it was it was something like it was a ray of light in the darkness. 18-year-old Vyacheslav and his four younger brothers and sisters grew up in a village in East Ukraine called Vyachnitoretska. Я був такою людиною, що я завжди десь what was the toughest part for you, would you say? The toughest part of the film was um, talking to 18-year-old Vyacheslav, whose mom died in front of his eyes as a result of the shelling, and he ended up being a legal guardian for four of his siblings. Um, and that was the hardest part because Vyacheslav is a very proud person and and like many other children, I mean, to me, he's still a teenager. Um, hmm. He didn't want anyone to feel sorry for himself, but he opened up and his, the pain he's going through really got to me. Yeah. He has huge responsibility looking for his siblings aged uh, 16, 11, nine and eight mm. or six, I don't remember exactly, while he's studying and trying to work and trying to keep the family together. In the meantime, he can't sleep because all these images, seeing his mom dead, dying on his arms, is something which you, you can't, I can't really imagine that. In Western Ukraine, Vyacheslav takes his brothers and sisters to the local orphanage to play with other kids. Behind smiles and laughter, there is a deep wound which may never heal. He still thinks about home. Uh, what struck me about the film, one of the many things that, that I, I loved about the film, was the way you managed to capture everyday life. How important was it to approach a film in that way? It is important. It was absolutely important to capture day-to-day -day life for the audiences to understand what these children are going through on a daily basis. Um, because otherwise we will never feel what they're feeling. And that was the main point of the film. Yeah. Uh, and it was uh, not that difficult, I have to tell you, because um, there was only there was only one danger, especially working in the eastern Ukraine, like in Kharkiv or Zaporizhia, there was um, shelling all the time, mm. and sometimes quite loud. So security-wise, it was difficult. Yeah. Otherwise, people were very open, and all the children were eager to tell their stories. I think that was the part which surprised me most because if I if you look at children here in the UK, for example, I have two children as well. They're not that talkative. <laughs> these kids really were not hesitant to open up and tell the everyday routine. Hmm. And I think psychologically for them, me coming as a stranger, being interested in their story yeah. made a huge difference. Ten-year-old Angelina lives in Ukraine's second-largest city, Kharkiv, just 25 miles from the Russian border. Tell us about the team you worked with. 
I, uh, from the beginning of my work with the production company, I insisted in having Ukrainian cameramen because there are lots of very good cameramen in Ukraine and uh, we need to support local talent as well. Mm. And I felt like if I have a Ukrainian cameraman, it will be easier to work. And it, and I had um, a fantastic cameraman, Petro Tsimbal, who actually, in a very quiet way, but absolutely brilliantly, can capture the moods. Mm. Uh, I filmed myself as well a little bit with a second camera, uh, but my main, uh, my main job was to talk. Because when you speak to a child in particular, and you film at the same time, that's wrong. Yeah. You have to sit down and dedicate all your attention to the interviewee, in this case, um, the children. Mm. Uh, uh, Production-wise, I set up all the interviews. I found all these people and children, and I was organizing everything myself. I had amazing security officer consultant, which I was very lucky about because normally I don't work with security advisors, but that was one of the requirements by TV and the Warner Brothers. And we were lucky because Steve, um, Steve Holland from Emerald, um, Emerald is the name of the security company, was absolutely amazing with the children. Mm-hmm. Uh, he played football with them oh. and they loved him. Oh, that's so uh, sweet. To the point, it's really, it was really sweet because... Yeah. Uh, normally there's a tough guys, you know, who kind of rough and etc. But he was very mellow and sweet with them, and they absolutely fell in love mm. with him. Oh, that's and adorable. I think he kind of also misses them because mm. uh, three weeks ago I uh, I was thinking I'll go to Ukraine back to visit the children with some Christmas presents and try to f- raise some funds mm. um, because you can't really, especially now when they don't have electricity. And electricity, lack of electricity means lack of water. They don't have proper food and shops don't work. It's really miserable and it's winter and it's Christmas season, you know, and you really want some magic. And I thought, well, if you go and you kind of show your face and say, hey, I still care about you and here are some presents would make some some sort of light in their heart. Steve called me. He was like, I want to go. I want to go visit the children. I'm like, wait, I want to go. So <laughs> we decided to join our forces together. And uh, his company is helping with logistics of the trip, with transport, etc. And I know that Steve done a lot in raising, you know, some um, warm clothes, thermals, all you need for winter. Andre and his friends now play war games, setting up checkpoints with toy guns in their village. How do you feel people are physically going to survive a winter? You're talking about there's no electricity, you know, there's no heating. How do people physically make that work? Well, those people who live uh, in private houses, they saw wood, and that's what they do. They actually we started doing it um, even in summer. Okay. Now, that will resolve your problem of heating, like plus minus, yeah? Sure. But it will not resolve your problem of electricity. 
especially now when Russians that da- Russians damage almost 40 percent of uh, electrical grid as well as uh, you know they always attack nuclear plants as well well uh, it's gonna be the worst winter ever and I'm very very worried about it because those generators which are supplied by many people and we also bringing five generators with us they don't last long you know and they work on on fuel on petrol a part yeah. of everything else imagine the environmental damage because you burn this fuel but otherwise you can't really you can't leave for boris and millions like him games and school were replaced by the struggle to find food and to shelter from Russian bombs. So in terms of international aid, obviously they were looking for more arms, ammunition, all the rest of it. But in terms of this type of aid, what specifically needs to be taken across and you know, obviously done as discreetly as possible? First of all, I agree with the Ukrainian government, uh, which advised the citizens to go to leave Ukraine if they can. And therefore, my appeal to the uh, international community, mainly the European Union, to make spaces available. Mm. Uh, Make spaces available because people have to run, especially in the eastern Ukraine, the situation is absolutely dire. Uh, this is number one. Number two, in terms of the aid, yes, uh, it's generators, power banks. Uh, I mean, these are presumably big pieces of equipment to, to get across, are they? Yeah, it is hard to get it across, but uh, charities can do it. Okay. Uh, volunteer organizations can do it. It should be done. It can be done. Well, has to be uh, done. But yeah. that's not going to be so. It's not going to solve the problem. I mm. think. Um, Especially uh, Eastern Ukraine was always my soft spot because I always felt so bad that they're going through this war since 2014, mm-hmm. you know, and they, they've seen a lot of bad things. And now the main theater of military activities are in, is in the East. Mm-hmm. And for them to get out of there takes, you know, Ukraine is a huge country, mm-hmm. takes time. And plus they don't know where to go. Uh, so people are scared, people are in unknown, and etc. So um, opening up spaces for them in the near nearby countries will help. But obviously, uh, all the needs in terms of warm clothes um, is absolutely essential. Yeah. By the end of the first week of shelling, their street had gone from being among the finest in Mariupol to being one of the most heavily damaged. Dimit and Maxim's families took shelter in the basement as their homes continued to be pummeled. Getting the film out there, both nationally and internationally, of course, we just had a screening on ITV uh, last week. Apparently, there's two versions of the film, um, a 90-minute one and obviously a 60-minute that was edited for ITV. Tell us about the longer version. Where, where's that going? The longer version of the film, which is 90 minutes, is going for Arte, which is a French-German uh, channel. Uh, 90 minutes version is going to be uh, a bit, I think, better than 60 minutes because okay. we have additional children. I have amazing girl aged 14, Ksenia, from Mariupol, and she's a dancer, a professional dancer. She used to oh, be. Wow. 
who is very emotional and uh, she completes the story of my two boys from Mariupol mm. uh, because she's older and uh, her horrific account of leaving the city on foot when you imagine she's a dancer and she froze her joints in oh, Mariupol cool. so wow. she could barely walk mm. carrying these bags on her uh, for two backpacks, etc., etc., to the point that when they kind of arrived to safety and she took her clothes off, actually for the first time in one and a half month, mm. right mm. during the siege, she noticed these blue stripes on her skin mm. because of the heavy bags. Yes. And this is this the story is just it, it's a film in itself, you mm. know. What can I say? And I also we include the children from Izum. Mm -hmm. This is the city in eastern Ukraine, which was under Russian occupation for six months. Mm -hmm. And I was lucky to get there three days after the liberation. And I found this amazing three brothers uh, who actually took me to their house. And I spoke to parents and filmed with them. And that, that story cracked my heart completely. Because, of course, Be they uh, have dealt with Russian occupation. So this is a different perspective now, isn't it? That was totally different perspective. And you know what? It's for the first time I saw children who were hungry. Mm. And that hit me so hard mm. because I was warned by my colleagues who've been to Izum uh, earlier than me that there no, there's no food. Mm. So we came prepared. I mean, we, we bought some food stuff. But when I spoke to these children about food, I, I wanted to cry mm, yeah. because in this half a year of Russian occupation, they had humanitarian aid from Russia only twice. Mm. And uh, one boy said, Mama, but you remember there was one Russian soldier. She actually, he actually shared his uh, food with us. Mm. I'm like, oh my God. And then when I was leaving, I left some money for the mom i said well they've worked very hard in the interview etc and she said wow she said finally i can go to the shop and buy not to the shop to the market and buy milk to my children no. that was absolutely heartbreaking the boys watch the news regularly and are well aware of the russian advance What are your long-term hopes for this film and getting it out to the widest audience possible? Uh, well, uh, it is it's going to be available in the UK, of course. It's going to be seen in Europe since uh, Arte, which is a European pretty much channel, is going to show it. Uh, Renegade Pictures, the production company, is uh, talking to the Americans American broadcasters about putting it there, but we are in a very early stages because we yeah. just submitted 60 minutes. We are about to submit 90 minutes. I know that ITV has submitted it for BAFTA nomination and oh. Emmys as well. Wow. And I Quite do right hope too. Quite right too. Um, well, I'm not so ambitious, yeah. but I want this film to have as much exposure as possible for people because you know when people look at ukraine they mainly watch the news and about this destruction this destruction this explosion but when you have this intimate story yeah. of this absolutely beautiful children who talk so sincerely 
you kind of get this war on a different level. And that's what I want to achieve. In Odessa, 11-year-old Dinis and 8-year-old Timofey are getting ready to leave too. With Russian warships nearby, it is not safe to stay. Tell us about the money you've been personally raising for these children. Well, I set up a crowdfunding page in Just Fund Me, and I was very modest in my target of £1,000, which luckily, thank you very much to everyone who donated, we raised in, in virtually three days. Yeah. Uh, the funds uh, raised are going to be spent on either uh, cash uh, to the parents of uh, these children who were in the film, just to get them by through winter because people lost their jobs and they're really struggling or uh, buying like power banks, uh, some mini power banks, to be honest, thermal clothes, etc., to the children, as well as some toys and presents. Yeah. I'll buy presents in Ukraine because mm. shops still work and you want okay. to support yeah. the local people. How would people find this GoFundMe campaign on social media? Um, it's on my Facebook, Shahida Tulaganova, and uh, if uh, anyone wants to donate, it's just fund me, and it's called Children of Ukraine, because mm. I'm a parent myself, and I know how kids are eager. You know, in Ukraine, don't, they don't celebrate Christmas, they celebrate New Year's. Mm-hmm. And imagine, I just imagine myself being a parent with no money, mm. but you still want to do Christmas, right? You still want to do something magic for your children. And like, you can't really, you really want to give these parents a chance, um, you know, just to be, just to have some fun, you know, and and make something nice for their children. Maxim and Dimit today live in a refuge in Zaporizhia in Eastern Ukraine. When they moved there, Zaporizhia was relatively safe. More recently, it has come under intense bombardment. It's estimated that at least 20,000 people were killed in the siege of Mariupol. And 90% of the city was totally destroyed. Just finally, really, your thoughts on the war in general and, and the importance of journalistic impartiality in the face of clearly provocative aggressive acts from Putin's forces? Well, this is the toughest war in terms of my impartiality. Yeah, yeah. Um, I have to tell you that when this uh, Russia started its war against Ukraine back in 2014, mm-hmm. I made a film called Airport Donetsk. And I was kind of traveling between Ukraine and the occupied territories, Donetsk and Lugansk. And I thought maybe... I can be impartial and portray the story of a battle for the airport from both sides, Mm. which I did. But I have to tell you, even back then, my sympathies were totally on the Ukrainian side because they were attacked. Now, uh, this war made it absolutely clear for me. You know, uh, there is an attacker and there is a, a... country which is an aggressive country with the Nazi ideology. I'm really sorry to say that's not Ukraine, yeah. but whatever you hear from Russian TV will make you hear 
gonna get get up. Mm. <laughs> uh, that's really Gabriel's style propaganda. And uh, partial and impartial, people are being killed. Mm. You know, people are being killed. Children who lost their lives, about 437 so far, the mm. people, the children, they calculated. And I think the number is at least twice more. Children who lost their homes, yeah. lives are ruined. How can you possibly be impartial? You know, when I saw these kids in the Zoom, the hungry kids, that was it. Mm-hmm. To me, that was the last point because I couldn't come to my senses after that. Mm-hmm. You know, I just couldn't believe that in the 21st century, we have children who survived for six months only on some boiled, awful pasta. Mm-hmm. Like pasta, you know, the dry stuff, yeah, you know. Yeah. Oh. In her new home, Kira is trying to get back to normal life, doing the things she loved to do before the war. Just as a sort of a roundup, really, I think you're doing an incredible job. I mean, I appreciate that you think, you know, you look at Ukraine and your life is is comfortable, but you're going in there again and again to um, to spotlight what is going on to the widest audience possible, and I think that is 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 commendable. Thank you. I can't do otherwise. <laughs> <laughs> Shahida Talganova, thank you so much for sharing these stories with the world. Я думал, всегда Россия с Украиной братья. Все везде это писали. Ну как-то так. <laughs>